Welcome back to the Dr. Supercoach Podcast. You're on once again with Pistol, and we have a very special guest, someone who was leading Supercoach with just one round to go. I feel bad already for rubbing it in, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump past this, but please welcome to the podcast, General Soreness, the fourth place finisher for 2020. How are you feeling, and how are you going? I'm very well, Pistol. I'm feeling good, and um, yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> so, first off, I know the Dr. Supercoach patrons already know a little bit about yourself as um, you have shared on some of the patron-only uh, podcasts, but do you want to just share what you feel comfortable with for the masses uh, a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure, mate. Um, oh, geez, what's there to know? Um, bit of a Supercoach tragic, as you probably all know. Um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a proud dad of a couple of girls. I'm I'm in, I'm in the Slack vets part of the Slack uh, part of the Slack channel um, as one of the older blokes getting around. Um, as everyone would probably know, Mad Bombers um, a bit sad about Sard um, news today. Um, yeah, and working mate, business, uh, you know, helping businesses hopefully stay out of trouble, but uh, looking after them when they get into trouble. So. Um, that's yeah, a little bit about me and and what I do. Um, yeah, excellent. Well, so look, obviously you've had an unreal Supercoach year. So I, I just want to know a little bit about what is your history with Supercoach and and when did you start? Oh geez, I've been doing Supercoach for longer than I can remember, um, which is probably more a sign of my age than a than a <laughs> <laughs> and my memory being shot as opposed to how long Supercoach has been going for. Um, I used to do a sort of similar thing with some friends who one of them was a spreadsheet crazy man and we had a super coach style thing and then it sort of evolved into doing the, the Herald Sun super coach, which I've been doing for a very long time. Um, I know that probably at least, uh, I was going to say seven or eight years, but it could probably even be longer. Um so yeah, very long time. So in a bit of the history of Supercoach, um, first couple of years had no idea what I was doing, just did it for sort of a few giggles and then got a bit interested in it and then started sort of absorbing content, um, you know, from, from various sources, including the illustrious Dr. Supercoach um, and started paying some attention to it. And probably my best finish before this year was... 300th in oh geez I think it was it was Lockie Neal's breakout year so it was at 2015 roughly um oh, so all the way back then not his not his second not his breakout, nah not his second breakout no so I think yeah yep. in 2015 he was coming off like about 800 plus games in a row the season before um, at the back end of a season. So I picked him up at the start of the season for about 450-odd grand, um, and he was a POD through the season. He's a big reason why I sort of finished where I did. I got as high as 11th that season before, um, basically, Rockcliffe was my undoing that year because I traded him in and out on three separate occasions. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> <laughs> it was the year he went up like 137 or 132 or whatever the number was. And you just could not not have him because he was that good. Um, but then I ran out of trades. Um, <laughs> and, and I just watched myself drift. 
Uh, well, look, I know a lot about that. Um, so it sounds like you've had a couple of high scores um, in the past. I know last season you ranked, I think it was roughly 2,100 from my memory. Um, so it, it's not like you're unfamiliar with a, a top 1% finish. So um, that's going to be key for some of the questions that I've got coming up for you. But before we get there, the team name General Soreness, um, I have to ask, and so does Tristan Webster, <laughs> who's specifically requested this question, what is the origin of your team name? Mate, that used to be the, the name given or the, the reason given by coaches for um, people that they just wanted to rest or manage. Um, unfortunately, nowadays, they seem to use resting and managed and general general soreness is actually a real reason to be left out, whereas it used to just be to hide players. I think one year there was like six or seven Geelong players before we had the bye, um, right before finals. I think we had about six or seven Geelong players and about half the Fremantle team out with general soreness. So it's just sort of a, it came out of that just as a, a bit of fun from uh, what the coaches were using. So Excellent. So... I want to jump into season 2020, but before I guess we talk about the nitty-gritty details, I want to take it right to the very beginnings. I'm talking pre-season. So I want to know, um, what did you do differently in this pre-season compared to other pre-seasons? Um, probably ignored a little bit of the, um, the the chatter around some of the players. Um so in pre- Please say Dan Houston. <laughs> I'd like to say that I ignored the chatter around Dan Houston. Um, <laughs> we might get to what happened with Dan Houston. Um, I, I will not forgive JB for that one. Um, so, but yeah, it was interesting because the back the back line was a bit sparse. So uh, I ended up yeah going Dan Houston regrettably. Uh, but yeah, so this year I sort of yeah tried to annoy, ignore as much of the chatter as I could. In the past, I've probably been caught up in it every now and again, thinking, oh, geez, I'm missing something. So this year, I pretty much relied on what I was was certain had worked um, and tried to ignore the chatter around some players, which means that I miss some players, um, but it also means that I'm more comfortable with the players that I do have. Um, and I say try to ignore because I still fell into a few traps around some players with some chatter. <laughs> so there was a bit of, uh, I guess we know 2020 has been a crazy season, but we knew some of the um, changes to the game before the season had even begun. We knew that the AFL had uh, reduced quarter lengths um, and we knew Supercoach was going to try and combat, um, I guess, this by having changes in price rises after only two weeks instead of three. Did any of this extra information impact any of your starting selections or did you just go with the, the true tried and trusted and just try and ignore um, and not try and predict too much? Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I did, that, that's exactly how it sort of played out. I tried not to predict too much, but I did have a, a feeling around the scaling that might come into the fact that we're still going to have the same number of points in a shortened game. Um, and I thought the scaling was going to benefit those that put their hands on the footy a lot. Um, and obviously, they're usually your pretty good super coach scorers anyway. Um, so it sort of come down to I wanted to pick players with little risk in terms of their ability to play 22, take a few risks here and there, but in those risks try and pick players that put their hands on the footy a hell of a lot. 
um, and then for might get the benefit of scaling. But that was just sort of me speculating that that was how it's going to sort of play out. Um, well, otherwise, I, mean, I didn't change it. Pretty much did. <laughs> yeah, well, that's exactly right. It, it sort of worked worked pretty well for a little while, um, and then you know your PODs sort of start to disappear um, as people jump onto them. But that's that's super coach. You've still got the benefit of those games where people didn't have them. So, um, so yeah, so pretty much played out that way. Um, feel the risk didn't play off, but that's all right. That's again, that's super coach. Bit of fun. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll get up to some of those risks that didn't pay off. But uh, Wasman asks, um, what's the what was the go with your starting lineup? Like, what structure did you have and, and why? And did you have any PODs and, and why did you choose them? Starting structure, yeah. I, for Ever since um, Dean Cox was super coach gold, I've set and forget rucks um, has always been a, a big play of mine. I don't play around with the rucks. I just pay up for them every season. Um, and again, sort of paid off this season. I wanted to go fairly big in the mids, as big as I could. Um, Matt Rowell obviously was a big part of helping going big in the mids, but I think a lot of people went with him and paid the price. Um, he was definitely the best. And then it looked a bit, to me, it looked a bit sparse, um, both forward line and, and back line. So that that was where I was prepared to take my risk. I didn't think that there was a lot of... Um, risks to be taken in the midfield. Um, so I just went big in the midfield and took my risks at mainly at the other end of the field. What were those risks um, in your back line and forward? So line? the risks in the back line, I started, I started Jaden Short, um, which proved to be a fairly good call and was a POD from the, from the start. Um, you know, whilst he didn't finish, I don't think he finished top 10. I think he was just out of the top 10 defenders. Um, but he's a consistent scoring defenders and the difference between being just out of the top 10 and just in the top 10 is a couple of points. Um, yeah. So, so that was a, that was a good one. I also started Houston in the back line, um, which was a not so good one. Um, and we don't need to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the other risks that I did take in the forward line, uh, I was having watched Essendon, obviously, fairly closely. I was pretty sure that Parrish was going to get a permanent role in the midfield. Um, it looked like that's what was going to happen. Round one, it did not happen. Um, so I immediately traded him to Greenwood. All right. So just coming back to the midfield where you said you didn't want to take any risks in your midfield and you wanted to pay up. Do you remember your... Did you start with five or six premium midfielders and which ones were there? So I started with... Um, Titch, um, Lockie Neal, Oliver, McRae, so all guys that just leather poisoning usually play 22. Um, yep. The only risk that I took, and it's purely because of his upside, and I wanted to take him early with the view that I probably would end up trading him, um, was Kelly. Um, he had a what I thought was a low ownership for a guy with his ability to you know, generate output. Um but I expected him to trade him, and then then it went to Rao. Um, yep. So yeah, so I, so I paid up for the for the bigger guys um, from the start. Just uh, just want to jump back a little bit in terms of the Jaden Short pick. Was that uh, pick based on the fact that Hooley was kind of here nor there in terms of the hubs, and we weren't sure if he was going to play at all um, throughout the season, or were you picking him for a different reason? Um. Yeah, a bit of both, really. Uh, I thought he was he was getting more opportunity 
Um, and it appeared that he was going to get a lot of opportunity to have that running halfback role. Um, and then it got better as Hooley, uh, you know, the situation with him started to unfold um, that just sort of made it a, a much better pick. Um, but initially I already had him shortlisted, excuse the pun, um, still had him <laughs> shortlisted to uh, to be part of the team um, because I just thought he was going to get that better role and he's a good he's been a good user of the footy. Um, so rebounding half back a low price and it allowed me to go a bit bigger elsewhere. All right, so week one has just ended. Did anything surprise you in terms of the scoring after week one, like in terms of the types of players scoring well or badly? Like what were your first impressions from that one week sample size? Oh, good question. I, I can't fully recall as to what my first impressions were. Um, I know I had a half-decent week, so that was good. Um, I, I, was pissed, <laughs> I was pissed off that Parrish wasn't playing permanent mid. Um, I remember that. Uh, but in terms of the scoring, look, it probably wasn't as uniformly high as I thought. Like there was outliers high. Um, so there were some big scores um but more outliers as opposed to a broader spread. I half expected there to be a bit of a broader spread of those high scores as opposed to big spikes, but um, we saw the big spikes happen all the way through the season with some with some monster scores. So how did you utilise your five trades before round two? What was your strategy there? Uh, same as always, correct, correct all your mistakes and don't be proud, um, which included... Trading out Parish to Greenwood, um, Zerk Thatcher, who I don't know, can't even recall why he was still in my side at that time. Um, George Artis, um, and then I and they, they went to other rookies, so Rivers and Taylor, who were both who were both playing. River, River, Rivers so not for a longer time. Three. <laughs> so, so you only used three trades. Three trades at round two, and then I used, um, yeah. Three trades in that round two. So, you, what, what did you just not have any other things to correct in your side, or you just um, decided to hold some players that potentially weren't getting games? Yeah, look, there was there was players in there that I thought uh, like um, that I really wanted to change to, but I didn't want to waste trades on players that I still believed in. So, one of those was. Um, and another one of the forward risks um, and PODs was Brayshaw, who didn't set the world on fire at the start, but I thought he was going to have a super coach friendly role. And I started to get a bit annoyed as the season wore on. But luckily, uh, luckily <laughs> after a few rounds after that, he, he come good. But um, I was a bit nervous there for a little while that I should have pulled the trigger on him. But um, yeah, as luck would have it, um, he managed to he managed to hold on. So. Okay, so um, I think for a lot of super coaches, uh, the emergence of Pitney after, I guess, round two or three, um, it caused a bit of a, a frenzy. Um, did you ever consider getting him um, as a cash cow at R3? I know you had uh, Gorn and Grundy, so was that something you considered or did you just ignore just it? Just ignored it, yeah. I um, Yes, cash generation was important, but I thought my... I had enough rookies that were generating cash um, that was going to see me get through to where I needed to get through. So I just didn't want to burn a trade um, on a guy that, like, 
obviously could generate some cash. I just wasn't convinced that it was going to generate the cash he did. So, um, you know, so you can call it a missed opportunity. Um, but again, these are the risks and the calls that you make as you go through the year. You make the wrong calls on some and you make the right calls on other. And um, yeah, I just I just never really considered him as a viable option. One of your right calls definitely was when Dusty Martin was out, you traded him to Petrarca, um, which, you know, I can, I'm can i starting to see when you've brought in Greenwood and then you've brought in Petrarca, you obviously already have Brayshaw. I can kind of see where your forward line is going um, with these trades and it hits all of the top players. Um, so I just wanted to make a note of that. But in round four, um, I think it was the Bombers D's blank. <laughs> um, were you impacted much by that? <clears throat> You know, by did you have points that were accidentally left on the bench, or did you? I know, I think it was that round that Whitfield got KO'd. Was he able to fall out of your best eighteen, or or did you, I guess, get away with one there? Yeah, no, I mean, managed to get away with a little bit, mainly because we had um, sufficient bench coverage. Um, but yeah, that was one of the, that was that was an annoying week because that was the week I actually went from Martin to Petrarca, and then Petrarca was out because of the COVID issue. Um, and normally I'd sit and wait to just before the game, and I can't remember what what was occurring that weekend that made me go a day early. Um, but I went the day early and then got stung by having this Petrarca donut, um, trying to avoid a dusty donut um, after. Oh, you had a donut? Yeah, right. Wow. <laughs> That's. Uh, I think it was um, Dusty played early in the rounds because I I did the same thing, but I got Ridley. So you know. Um, I feel your pain there. Um, but did, did you end up like copying Whitfield's seven score in your best 18 that week? Do you remember? I, I, no, I don't think I did. Right. Okay. Well, that's, I mean, I, this is, I can see how your season is uh, going well from so far. <laughs> You've just been nailing your trades as you, it's round by round. It's just good trade after good trade. Um, I was going to say, what were some of your best pickups early? Um, that set you up for this, you know, good start and good run. So we've already heard of, of Greenwood and, and Petrarca. What were some of the other key ones? Yeah, well, the Ridley I bought in in round five for Noble. Um, so that was good. Like Ridley at that time was 410000 so he'd gone up a little bit, but um, he was still a good good value. Um, round four was one I was really happy to make, and that was Houston out for Sicily. Um and that one went pretty well. Um, and now that you've asked me that question, I remember that I didn't get a Whitfield seven because I didn't because I didn't <laughs> own Whitfield at that time. That makes a lot of um, sense. <laughs> I went row to Whitfield in round six um, and made thirty thousand bucks on the trade. So, sorry if I if I go back then to what what was your starting forward line if you didn't have Whitfield and you didn't have Petrarca. Um, obviously, you had Dusty Martin. Um, who who are your other forwards? Like Brayshaw, um, Deb yep. Smith. Um, that's a shallow forward. Yeah, line. I didn't I didn't like the forward I didn't like the forward options, and I thought Whitfield was way too dear. Um, so yeah, so I used that money to mainly go into uh, the midfield, and obviously get that's and really get my big rucks. Wow. Okay. So there we go. A very, very shallow forward line to beef up the rest of the side. That's that was an interesting tactic this year. Um, That's obviously paid off as well. So that's pretty good. Sorry. Were there any other, um, I guess, early trade uh, wonders that you that you managed to snare? Um, Not that I can think of. Like they were they were the ones that sort of 
really stood out as the the better trades early. Um, after that, it was just sort of a, a rotation of um, you know rookies for rookies. Um, Dodie, I brought in late, um, and again regret that. I think I think I'm just avoiding South Australia in the future. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, w- I was going to say it looks like here you've bought in Dodie at 433k, so he's already gone yep. up 150k when you purchased him. And maybe one or two rounds later, Tom Stewart was at his lowest price, yep. and you managed to avoid Tom Stewart um, for the season. What did you have a specific reasoning for that, or just you know trades just didn't work out in the right timing and order for you? Uh, th- there's a bit of that, and that's always part of it as you're going through super coaches. That sometimes you just have to pass on a play because it doesn't work at the time. Um, but no, at that time I had a focus on getting Lloyd. Um, so I really wanted to get Lloyd into my side because I thought he he was one that was going to really, really hurt me not not having him. Um, so I managed to get him in. I think it was, well, I can have a look. It's round 10 I got him in. Um, so I ended up passing on Stuart because I was, I was aiming for Lloyd. Yeah, so you traded out Doherty um, at round 10. Yeah. Okay, so we'll, we'll come back to that because that will be interesting uh, following up. So... Um, around that time, though, the, the second set of... Um, sorry, the first set of those fixtures were announced and we knew that Lloyd was going to have a buy. Um, you know, there was around 10 buy in rounds. I think it was 11 and 12, actually, um, for GWS and uh, Swans and then, obviously, Carlton West Coast and Hawthorne. And I think there was another team um, that had, had a buy earlier. How did you manage this? Like, did you still getting players that had the buy and just went with it? Did you just decide from that point onwards you were going to get in the best of the best or how did those, you know, the announcement of buys um, change your, your thinking? Um, in the in the early buys, I just I was happy to get in anyone whether they were having their buy or not. Um, just wanted to get the best of the best in um, and by doing so, you can end up with some PODs to an extent like bet. You know, a POD to the extent that they should have been a higher ownership. So someone might be a POD because he's only 25% ownership when, I don't know, the market should suggest that he should be 35 plus percent ownership, if that makes some sense. Um, so around that time, like when I bought in Lloyd, he he had his buy. Um, and I thought most people will start trying to avoid Lloyd until after his buy. So I'd, I'd sort of get that and I still had the 18 so providing I still had 18 playing um, I was happy to take the best of the best if I could afford them at the time Um, as we got into the later buy rounds um, it was more about making sure that I always had a full complement of players and if that meant getting in someone and burning a trade well that's what I was going to do so it looked like you then dropped Gorn um, at the first instance of his injury. Yep. Um, what was your yeah? What was your thought process behind that? Oh, it was going to be so beautiful, Bristol. It was um, Gorn. Gorn was going to have a uh, you know short injury span. He was going to be out for probably two weeks. Um, Goldie was going to go up a hundred thousand or fifty thousand. Gorn was going to come down a hundred thousand. They were going to handshake back, and I was going to go with Gorn again. Um, as it worked out, Goldie went absolutely nowhere. Um, he had a low break even and barely hit it. Um, Gorn come back and had a high break even and almost hit it. 
Um, so I had to pay up for Gorn again. Um, had I known that his injury was going to be slightly longer term, um, I would have gone Nick Nat, which is a you know bit of a trade regret there because um, the yeah the plan was to get Gorn back in you know a couple of weeks and you know okay he'd be out for a week, come back play a week, drop in price. Gorn would have, uh, Goldie would have gone up, handshake and back. Because he was out for longer, I really regret not having gone Nick Nat. But uh, they weren't going to have the same sort of exchange of, of, of roles. So. And it looks like you used that money to bring in Crips as well, which is a, a little unfortunate given <laughs> we know how that, that one ended. Um, so after this, um, I guess, first set of buys, it was announced the second set of buys. And I guess we got the first look at that dreaded round 15 buy. Um, how did you plan to navigate around it, and you know what was your strategy? I guess at this point you're probably peaking as well in rank. Uh, I'm not too sure, but um, from the top of my head, you were right in contention around this time. So, what was your your strategy moving forward here? Yeah, this, yeah. Well, I think uh, yeah, the strategy at the time. Yeah, and you're right. I was I was high on the overall rank. Was just to make sure that I fielded. Um, as much pre- as many premiums as I could, and if that meant sidewaysing a premium, I was going to do it. Um, luckily, because of my being frugal with trades early, um, it meant that I had a few trades that I could have burnt um, at this time. Um, I don't recall exactly which ones I did on the sideways because I reckon most of my sideways ones that I ended up doing were mostly around injury. Um, I think Kelly, Kelly was out um, and I ended up going Merritt in that, in that time. Um, again, Merritt was a POD, plays his 22, was going well. Um, so that was one of the ones I did. Um and in the weeks leading up, I also made sure that the rookies that I was bringing in, so I was passing on some good rookies to get rookies that were in teams that had had their buy, so I at least had coverage. Right. So you were paying, would you, you were willing to pay um, or at least wait, or pay a bit more or wait for rookies that you thought were just better than, you know, those one game wonders um, yeah. by the looks of, by the looks of your, your trade history. Um, Okay, no, that that's obviously a good good strategy. I just want to know at what point did you think, "Wow, I'm in with a chance here." <laughs> um, from, I, I guess my history of Supercoach says that uh, you'd never take anything for granted. So I really didn't even allow myself. I was just happy to be at the top. Um, I'd always sort of aimed for ideally a top ten finish. Um, so I was I was pretty chuffed to sort of be in that that area. So my wasn't until the the last couple of rounds that I'm there going, bloody hell! If I don't stuff it up from here, I could actually could actually take it out. Um, so <laughs> um, so I was trying to not think about it too much, other than just to enjoy it, um, because super coach is so fickle. Um, you know, you, you get guys that are, you know, fringe players making, could be someone's F6, could come out and have 150 that week. Um, and you look at back at the team and you go, why in the hell have you got that guy at F6? Um, 
it's because they've had to or whatever the case might be. So, um, so I allowed myself to sort of hope for it, but not think that it was going to happen. Yeah. So Chewie wanted me to ask, did you still have fun or was the stress too much of a factor that you could no longer enjoy it? <laughs> nah, absolute fun, mate. So a um, little bit of stress on the Saturday night when I ballsed up, but, um, you know, I, the, the good thing is, is my balls up didn't cost me a win. So that was, I was a little bit I was a little bit happier when, when that was the case. Um, <laughs> Do you want to explain that a bit more for people that don't know what happened? Oh, you're not going to... Yeah, it's 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 more embarrassing than it is um, and now funny. Um, so... I'm glad you can laugh at it. <laughs> well, in my genius, I'd managed to make sure that I entered into the last two rounds um, with two trades in hand with the view of... Um, I had a correction to make in Williams, who was out. Um, and... Sorry, I had a correction to make in um, Doherty, I think, who I still had on the bench. Um, and I was watching it, and I also had Williams there, and I'm there going, okay, well, I've got Williams who I need to fix, and I've got Doherty, blah, blah, blah. And for whatever reason, on Saturday night when I've gone to make my trades, I'd normally check, um, you know, I'd normally log on to Slack, see any announcements about people saying, oh, so-and-so is out. I'd normally check on Twitter. Um, I'd also normally jump onto my phone app and check that as well. For whatever reason, I just checked the phone app and I thought, cool, all my guys are playing. Um, and I was itching to get Ryan in. Um, so I traded uh, traded in Ryan and then quickly logged out, you know, quickly logged out, pretty happy with myself, logged onto Twitter um, to notice that Walters was out. And what cover did you have? I had zero cover. <laughs> so, so the number one placed overall goes into the final week with two trades in hand yep. and ends up leaving with a donut. Yep. It's, uh, that's, that sounds like a super coach nightmare, to be honest. <laughs> Mate, I must say... I'm glad you're laughing. I, I felt pretty crook when I did it. Like the second I realised, I'm like, "You idiot! What have you done?" Like I've just, you know, I felt like I just, you know, committed a massive crime. Um, felt sick in the guts, especially because when you go back and look at the trades I had penciled. Um, so if Walters was out, or I was going to miss one, and I had to make two trades, I didn't have a lot of cash in the bank, so. Doherty and Williams, I could only sort of play around with what I had. And Walters wasn't worth a lot either because I'd only traded him in the bloody round before, which is even more of a slap in the face. So he might very well be on the never again list. Um, I'd lined up a choice between Rich and Houston to come in for Doherty. And we both know what they did in the last round. Um and I thought, and I was actually leaning towards Houston because I thought it would be hysterical um, having traded him out so early in the season to finish with him in my team. <laughs> um, and the other thing, I was, the other ones I was looking at bringing back in were, were Parrish, who I started with, um, who was now playing a bit more of a super coach friendly role, uh, Dev Smith or Wingard. But uh, regardless of what happened, if I even, if I go back and had have done those things, um, Crosby still wins. I just go from fourth to second. So, 
Yeah, so you've, I'm assuming you've worked out all the different combinations to try and see if it was possible if you could have Absolutely, won. mate, absolutely. So I went back and had a look at those. And look, the, the reality is, is uh, you know, did did the uh, did the trade from Dusty to Petrarca back in round three, where Petrarca then had a donut, um, you know, was that the extra 20 points or extra 30 points? You'd, you'd do your head in if you went through and, pulled apart every single yep. trade and said, oh, if I had have done all these things absolutely perfectly, um, I would have won Supercoach by 300 points. Um, it just doesn't work like that. So you live with the, the mistakes you make. Um, you know, it probably counters the fact that I got lucky a few times during the season too. So, you know, round 15, I wanted to pull some other trades. I, I literally wanted to – I wanted to ditch Stasevich. Um, he'd been stinking it up knocking out 50s and 60s, didn't want to have him. I could not trade him for love nor money because there was nothing to trade him to. Um, I had to field him, and he comes out and knocks out 110. Um, so you ride your luck as well, you know. I'm pretty sure you also fielded him when he scored that 99 because I was playing <laughs> you in a league match, and I couldn't believe it. So you ma- you managed to avoid Stasovic's low scores and put him on field when he popped out those big scores, which was just, you know... <laughs> <laughs> but that's just absolute luck, uh, mate. A- absolute luck, because there wasn't. <laughs> I wanted to trade him. I was trying. <laughs> <laughs> so I've got a question here from Pep. He asks, "Did you make any moves near the end, which were dictated by the people that were close to you in rank, or did you ignore them and do what you thought was best, regardless?" Uh, no, I did. I did have an eye on the other teams, especially in that last round. Um, the the trades that I would like to have done with the two trades would have been, if I had to use them, um, I knew who they had and I was potentially going to make some defensive trades. So trade to people that they had um, and eliminate some PODs. So that was sort of the the mindset. It didn't go there. But for the most part, I really just did my own thing. Um, So I traded in Merritt because I thought he was the best choice at the time. I traded Doherty back in because he was starting to do good and then he wasn't. Um, and, you know, I, I chose Walters on, in round 17. And again, you know, in, in hindsight, you wouldn't pick up Walters, but uh, I thought he was just too good a value. Um, so not so much because he was a POD, just because I thought his output for what he cost was going to be much better. Yep. So I've got I've got some general um, questions from the Slack community here, but I, I do want to touch on something um, that's been I guess eye opening for me. I mean I I usually assume somebody that's going to finish you know near the top is nailed you know most of their trades throughout the entire season. But as we're talking, and I, I don't mean to <laughs> sound pessimistic, but you made some stinkers. Oh, absolutely. There is there is some there is some doozies. I mean obviously. Um, Duday at peak price right before he gets injured, you can't predict that. But you know that that hurts. You traded Doherty in and out. Well, sorry, I should say out and in yep. and out. Um, you know Walters the game before he's then a late out as well. Um, you know uh, it, you, it's it's like uh, people expect that you have to play perfectly to win the game, but um, I think it's important to remember that everyone playing is human, so everyone playing is going to make mistakes, and it's 
not possible to play a, you know an entirely flawless season. So um, that was something that was really eye-opening uh, to me. Um, you know, whilst going through your trade history in particular. I'm sorry, I d- don't mean that to come across as a barb. <laughs> it's just uh, it's a light bulb moment for me as well. That you know we get so fixated on trying to get everything right all the time that you know it it doesn't need to be that way. Um, which is super interesting. So back to the general questions. I've got Marcus and TP want to know what is your biggest regret um, of the season? What is the pick that you're most proud of? Uh, the biggest regret was that uh, we uh, that Ryan traded on the, the night of the last round. <laughs> um, but uh, there, there is some other regrets that the uh, uh, listening to a little bit of the chatter and starting Houston. Um, Crips coming in round 11. Uh I I was iffy on him at the time, so I regret doing it because I should have I should have pulled myself up. So it's, that's more an internal regret that I didn't fully believe in the trade I was making, um, but I did it anyway um, because he's val- because he looked like value. Um, and then the Gordon to Goldie is a little bit of a regret on the information that was available at the time. It was the right call, but um, it did, just didn't work out. Um, the ones I'm most proud of. Um, Paris to Greenwood round one um, I'm happy I called that right because Paris didn't set the season alight I was scared that he was going to get moved back into the midfield and tear it up and obviously Greenwood did what Greenwood did so I was I was happy with that one um, the most proud move probably that I did though was um, the Kelly score of 195 was the only time I VC'd him all season Um <laughs> And, wow. and he's coming off the back of a 95 and a 92. And I usually VC who I think is going to go the, the largest um, without being too speculative. Like I try not to get – I try to go with someone that's going to be good for their for their points. Um, but Richmond just seemed to be coughing up so many against gun midfielders and they don't tag. Um, and Kelly was coming off a, a few tags, so I thought – He's gonna he's gonna go bananas, and I was lucky that you know I was right that week, so I managed to get the benefit of his VC. Um, and that week I was you know my overall round position for the week was eleventh overall, which you know took me from sixty fifth overall to fourth. Wow, yeah, no, that's a massive week. So how, how did you usually did you pick your captains from like a small group of players then if you were trying to just pick the you know the highest scorers or did you branch out? No, I usually stayed pretty set. So Lockie Neal and Gorn are obviously two very good guys to have on your side. Um, and the way that their their sort of their seasons rolled out is I could always roll one into the other. So I did that a lot. Um, I did branch out from time to time. Um, so that one with Kelly um, was an example of that. Uh, I steel. I did a couple of times. Um, Jack Steele. So he was he was good, and I think I VC Titch on a couple of occasions as well, um, where I thought he was going to be, you know, in the top half a dozen scorers. Um, so yeah, I usually don't. I know a lot of people use their VCs to um, be very speculative and maybe go for a bit of a hail mary pass. I usually try and stick with who I think is going to be in the top scorers whether it's going to be a POD, VC or not, um, because I'd rather lock away a big score with it, with everybody else <laughs> than lock away a shit score um, because I decided to go on my own. Yeah, 
Perfect. Blue Baggers wants to know uh, what things uh, you think you did well for this specific unusual season and uh, what are some things that aren't going to transfer back into a normal length season? Oh, good question. Um, it's a great question. <laughs> I, I, you, you might need some time. To I was going to say, yeah, it needs, needs some thinking music. Um, look, I think I think obviously the, the um, increase in price Every every you know after they've played one game and it's going up, um, I don't think that's going back. Uh, like that'll transfer back, I think, to the normal uh, two and then the third week price rise. Um, so focusing on those price rises and not trying to milk every single dollar out of a rookie, um, I think I did that pretty well this season. Um, and hopefully I can do it again next season. But sometimes I, you tend to hold on to them for a bit longer. Um, I think we got exposed to a lot more rookies um, this season as well. So it made it easier to generate that cash, grab those rookies. There's always seemed to be a rookie coming through or was getting played. And even though the job security was curious, because they were price rising immediately, um, you didn't need them to play for long. Whereas in a normal season, you need them to play a little bit more um, to get those to get that value. Um, so I don't think that's going to transfer back. Um, so it's going to make it harder, I think, to generate your cash next season. Um, but I say that now, and who knows? There could be a team full of rookies. It could be the bombers. Um, the way the way our <laughs> trades are going, might be. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. It's yeah, it's really interesting because I mean realistically um, it sounds like your strategy was not much different than previous years so you could stick to what you know um, for next season you know we'll expect you to finish number one instead of number four. <laughs> Mate, it'd be nice it'd be nice I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd covered that number one spot but I'm happy to happy to have finished fourth I've got to tell you <laughs> so Blackie asks uh, how, how quickly did you flip your underperforming players and rookies this year um, or I guess a counter to his own question he said how quickly did you jump on informed players um, both both very quickly and very slowly um, the, the noted risks that I took in so the ones that I already had question marks over sort of they were a bit they were my risky players um, I was happy to move them on really quickly um, so Darcy Parrish, when I didn't see him playing full-time mid, pulled the trigger straight away. Um, Dusty Martin, when he was going to be out, um, having been injured for the, like, you know, he's a guy that normally doesn't get injured, so I didn't think he was going to be back really quick, um, but he was. Um, so I pulled the trigger on Petrarca, who was, you know, just pumped out, I think it was two 120s um, at the start of the season. So, um, but and then on the converse to that, like someone like Brayshaw, who I thought was always going to produce good numbers and I was a bit worried at the start that he didn't. But the reason he didn't at the start is because of his reduced game time and I didn't think that was going to persist all season. But I'd already but I did put an asterisk to it next to him straight away saying, Hey, if he doesn't turn this around or he keeps playing the same amount of game time and not getting the centre bounce attendances in the next couple of weeks, um, look to trade him, but he wasn't losing me value, but he wasn't making me money either. 
I do notice that you never at any point had Jai Simkin in your side and he, he ended up in a lot of people's sides. Were you ever tempted to get him or was there a reason that you stayed away from him? Uh, yeah, look, I, I kept looking at him. I, To be brutally honest, I just didn't believe he was going to keep putting out the scores. Um, I know he was getting played in a in a super coach friendly role. Um, all signs pointed to yes. I just don't didn't have the belief that he was going to continue with those sort of numbers. Usually, what happens with the younger guys is they t- they tail off. Um, and even in the shorter season, I thought, especially because it was going to be back to back games, I just thought he was going to tail off, and we're going to see these big scores drop into. 80s and 70s and things like that. And for a while there, I was starting to say, told you guys, look at that. Um, he's turned to shit. And all of a sudden, uh, f- final <laughs> round, um, you know, one of the reasons that I lost is because I didn't have him. Um, Crosby's had him. And I've got to tell you, I, I seriously considered him in round 17 before Walters, but Walters just, I thought, was going to produce the better numbers. Um, again, sliding door moments, but... Uh, when you've got Simkin coming off 52s, I wasn't prepared to take him as a defensive pick because I thought it exposed me um, to dropping it, you know, potentially out of the top 10. Yeah, wow. So um, that's really interesting. I think uh, most people, I, I would say, you know, they look at the role of the player and if the, the role is there and they think it's going to last, they're like, yep, you know, get in my side. So it's interesting to see you be like, look, this guy's... You know, young, inexperienced. I just don't want a bar of it, and he's going to drop off. And I guess that he did. So it's probably a lesson to learn for us um, out there as well. That you know, sometimes even if you have a role, it doesn't necessarily mean your scoring is going to you know be better um, because of it, or at least remain like stay the course for the entire season, um, particularly when they're young players. Uh, I've got another question from Chizo. Uh, he says. How much of your year consisted of advice from outsiders and were the majority of your moves orchestrated purely without input or did you have discussions with others um, that helped influence your moves and when you made moves? Is this is this Chizo just saying, did I get all my ideas from him out of Slack? Is that is that where is that, is that where this is heading? <laughs> is this is that the answer? I mean it might be. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, it's um look obviously you take your information from as many sources as you can get. Um, most of most of my information, like I, I love to hear people talk footy, talk super coach. You know, like probably all of us, we're always doing it in one format or another. Um, so, I, like I do pay attention to um, a lot of people's opinions, um, both in Slack, um, also you know I'm on Twitter a bit, so I pay attention to that. Obviously, listen to the podcast. Um, and I love to take in all that information, but ultimately from all those information sources, I still like to make my own decisions around the players. Um, there's nothing worse than looking at a player going, I knew you were going to be crap. Why did I bother trading you in? Um, that That's more annoying than actually backing yourself in and getting something right, which is you know quite good. So... I, I listen to it all, I take it all in and then try to apply my own sort of logic and strategy to it. But it's amazing some of the sources, like some of the information that gets out there because there's players that you may not have otherwise considered that make you go and have a look at them. And then 
Yep. When you have a look at them, you start to then you then apply your own logic as to whether you should pick them or not. I was really hoping your answer was going to be something related to the team pistol chat, but anyway, we'll move on to uh, JB's. <laughs> well, question. I thought that went without saying, you know, team team pistol. So I thought that went without saying. So and I didn't want to give away any trade secrets there, pistol either. So. <laughs> Well, you can say it again because JB's question is how much of your success in 2020 derived from the information and advice you received whilst being part of Team JB in 2019? He said, if you advise not much, I'll understand you're protecting Pistol's feelings as a host. Uh, and if you say lots and lots, then, then you're welcome. No, it, no, he's right. It is absolutely lots and lots um, <laughs> because part of your learning is what not to do. Um, so... <laughs> so Great so it was answer. lots of lots. Fantastic so it was all, all, all out of Team Pistol. So absolutely. Perfect. So learn what not to do in Team JB. Move, to, move across to Team Pistol. And, you know, there's a there's a reason we had, you know, four or five top 100, and I think it was top 200 finishes, five of us in the team. So um, yeah, that's where the, the magic happens. Meso asks uh, probably a question you've thought about over and over again, but you know, if you had snuck over the line and finished first, what would you have spent the money on? Oh, it's funny. Um, I didn't really think about the money so much as I really wanted to be number one. Um, <laughs> it sounds stupid, um, but no, the same for me as well. But I'm that's really what I wanted. I'd love to say number one super coach. Um, the only the only time sort of I allowed myself to think about the money is when I had some mates sort of ring me up and say, well, what are you going to do with it? And so I had a number of ideas. So one was when we were allowed out of lockdown in in Melbourne was there was definitely going to be a, a slack piss up um, and I was going to organise it and shout. Oh, no. So, um, <laughs> that would have been so So, so now <laughs> we'll have to have one still, but uh, you'll have to pay your own way. Sorry, boys. Um, and... Yeah. And the only other two things that I had thought about where some money was going to go was um, there's going to be more money go towards the Cancer Council and the Blues train down on the morning uh, down on the Bellarine Peninsula needs some funds. So I was going to send some funds that way, and then the rest would have just been, you know, I would have thought about what to do with it at the time. Well, it's very generous of you. And again, we very, very, very much appreciate your generous donations to the Cancer Council. You've been a strong supporter since the very, very beginning, one of our first patrons as well. So you've been on board, you know, all the way in. I guess uh, before we wrap up the podcast, I just want to ask some 2021 questions. And, you know, who who are some of the picks you're eyeing off to start the year with next year? Oh, good question. Um, I should go to my 2021 cheat sheet, um, which... Oh, you've already got a planner up and running. Yeah, look, as I go through the season, I I put into my notes in my phone people that sort of catch my eye to think about at the start of the season because sometimes you forget about them. Um, Most people do that when they're ruled out of the running. They're like, you know, my year's over. I'm going to start playing for 2021. <laughs> but you're, you're planning for 2021 while you're in first place in 2020. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so some of the guys that I've made note of is uh, Tom Green out of GWS, even though I've sort of got now a quasi-rule about not picking GWS guys. They did burn me late. Um, so, But Tom Green looks like just a super coach beast if they give him a full-time mid-roll. Um, uh, Davis Uniaki um, seemed to be starting to find a lot more of the footy and growing in some confidence, so I'd be interested to see him with another full preseason under his belt. Um 
So these are just like, you know, watch list guys. Um, Isaac Cumming, another GWS guy who I think will get a larger role, especially when GWS lose, you know, their normal half a dozen players to other clubs and then <laughs> they may never play again. Um, and then you've got the injury-affected guys. So, you know, your Jeremy Howes and your Isaac Heaney's and your Matt Rouse um, as to see what they're going to come back in terms of pricing um, and to what discount levels they get. Um, because we're going to have so many, we're going to have an absence of rookies, I feel, because so many of them played this year um, that we might not see as many of them next year. And therefore, I feel like some of the value's got to be in injury-affected players, and that's where I'm currently looking to take my risks. Yep. So I totally agree with you. The problem for me is when I pick injury-affected players, uh, they just get injured. So <laughs> there's, there's a fine balance between picking the right the right ones. I think uh, that's probably... Look, you're also talking to the guy that um, picked Walters in round 17. So, look, you know, <laughs> injury-affected, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that about wraps up the interview. I just want to say again, thank you so much for taking you know time out of your busy calendar to come and have a chat with us and um, and you know all of the Doctor Supercoach community. Everyone was behind you. It's uh, tough to see you finish fourth, but you know when you were sitting first. But I didn't want to mention <laughs> it again. But I've I've done it anyway. Um, but you know, again, fantastic finish to finish fourth is unbelievable. And I'm looking forward to you going. You know. Well, instead of one better, we'll say three better um, in 2021. Nah, thanks, Ace, for that, mate. And look, yeah, the community was was amazing. Um, they supported me from, uh, you know, I got lots of messages of support from very early on. Um, and obviously in that last week, there was a truckload of messages. Um, it was all truly appreciated. I, you know, really thank everybody for reaching out and a few of those that contacted me directly, you know, Whisker and Barbs and, and Blackie, Mazo and all that. Um, but everyone in Slack and uh, those that reached out to me on Twitter, that was, um, you know, it was good to have a bit of banter and, and I appreciated the support. So thank you. And thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. It's been good fun. Yeah, no, it's been excellent. And you were, you've been the first person we've named a Slack channel after as well. So <laughs> that was uh, particularly exciting. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was very interesting because, like, I always sort of took it as my channel anyway because, you know, General has just joined it. I'm like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> just join General. All right. Well, thanks again for coming on and, uh, you know, best of luck for 2020. And same to you. Cheers, Pistol. If anyone wants to get on board, our patron currently is... Um, free for three months if you are currently a patron or you just sign up it's a one-time fee slack is three dollars so you end up spending three dollars to get three months uh, worth of slack and be able to chat amongst the doctor super coach community uh, currently the finals are you know the hot thing as well as the trade period so there's lots of trade discussion and uh, finals discussion so it's a great time to get on board and you know have a play around so obviously there's uh, the super coach racing that's going on and there'll be lots of super coach bbl as well coming up so it's a great time to get on board and try it out um, otherwise, you know, there'll be more uh, podcasts coming out in the future, you know, trade period as well as our uh, preseason content. So there's plenty happening. Uh, we will catch you later, community.